love and life. Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Unless we're being honest with ourselves about who we are and what we're about. None None of that is possible. Single is the new black. Don't wear white till it's right. I'm all about living authentically and finding the best version of you and living life to its fullest. You know, there's an old saying that every crisis is not only a crisis, but an opportunity. So I meet a guy and he's great. He's smart. Karen, we need to pick out the shoes. successful. This was not what I had anticipated. I had my life planned out. Psychologist, author, speaker, former professor, and musician. Yes, I was a runaway bride. Channel your path to a more authentic you, living an authentic life. Listen to Dr. Karen right now on Love and Life. Welcome to Dr. Karen Love and Life. Hi there. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I'm a psychologist, author, speaker, former professor, and musician. You might know me from my latest book. Single is the new black. Don't wear white till it's right. I'm here on my new podcast. We'll be talking about living and relating authentically in all realms of life. We'll look at how to have true intimacy in romantic relationships, more meaningful friendships, healthier family connections, more productive and fulfilling careers, and we'll learn methods for staying happy, hopeful, and positive all while channeling a path to a more authentic you, living an authentic life. Thanks so much for joining me on episode four of Love and Life. And today on the podcast, I want to talk about fear. Fear is a huge part of living. And we certainly get into it quite a bit in psychology because fear is anxiety And anxiety is related to depression and all sorts of topics that we spend a lot of time researching and trying to understand so that we can help people. But fear, like I said, is just part of living. As annoying as that is, it's part of our life every day. And and for many of us, it really permeates our thinking. And so one of the things I want to look at today is fear and decision making and how oftentimes We are making decisions from a position of fearfulness. We're making fear-based decisions as opposed to love-based decisions or enthusiasm-based decisions. And it's interesting because one of the quotes I remember from the father of person-centered therapy, which is one of the orientations in psychotherapy, Carl Rogers, he once said to one of his clients, you know, It's an awful risky thing to live, which just reminds us that fear is inherent to the human condition. We can't get away from it, but we can push through it. So that's what I want to look at today in the podcast. And I'm going to go back to some personal experiences I've had when I've found myself at a crossroads and looking at the safe choice versus the risky choice and really struggling with making the risky choice because of all the fear that's inherent to the risky choice. You're listening to Dr. Karen Anderson Abril on Love & Life. Go to our website, drkarin.me. That's www.drkarin.me. Have any questions? or would like to share your story with Dr. Karen, email her, karen, K-A-R-I-N, at drkaren.me. 
We fear so many things in life. We fear change. We fear taking risks in various areas. We fear, oh my gosh, we fear this so much. We fear not being in control. Anyone you talk to, when you look at the anxiety or the struggle or the frustration in their lives, so often it is related to their fear of not having control. We fear the future, which is why we try to plan everything out. Many, many of us, and even those who aren't super, super structured and super, super organized or planners, we still have a little timeline in our head. We still have an idea of how we want things to go. And it drives us nuts when things don't go according to plan. But here's the thing that is very, very annoying about life and very, very true. And it can be freeing once we accept it. Is that ultimately, we really can't control a lot of life. So when we have decisions that are ahead of us, so often there's this fear that's, that's locked into it. And way too often, we don't end up doing what we'd really like to do or do what we should do because of fear. And it holds us back, like I said, from living authentically. It holds us back from thriving as opposed to just surviving. I mean, who knows what's ahead of us if we would let go of the safety and the security, let go of something that's known for something that's unknown, but that could be possibly and potentially way better and bigger and more fantastic than we could possibly imagine. But it won't happen unless we let go of the known. I've seen this in my own life when I look back. So often I was willing to hang on to mediocre, to just okay, rather than taking a chance to step into something extraordinary. So again, to give you a concrete example of this, I'll share a little bit of my story, which most of you know I was a runaway bride. <laughs> and so when you look at how I got into that, how I got to that point as a runaway bride, there was so much fear involved. Setting the stage, I met my ex-fiance at a birthday party that my girlfriends threw for me in Chicago. We were at a club and I met him. But I have to tell you, on my 30th birthday, a lot of fear had already set in because I was already off course. I was supposed to be married by 27 or 29, again, with my little plan in my head. And so many of my friends were already married and starting families. And some of those questions and those nagging little voices in my head were saying, what if you're single for forever? You always wanted to get married and be a wife and have children and be a mother. And the clock's ticking now, Karen, because you're almost 30. What if you never get to be a wife and a mother? And so by the time I even laid eyes on my ex-fiance for the first time, I had already stepped into fear. I had already let those voices of fear and concern that my life would not play out as I'd hoped. I'd already let those fears set in. And so I was primed and, and prepared to start making fear-based decision after fear-based decision after fear-based decision, which really explains how I kept dating a guy who was a great guy, but not my guy, how I ended up dating a guy for three years and then agreed to marry him. It was all fear. Decisions that were steeped in fear. Recently, I pulled out my journal from that time, and I have to be honest with you, reading that was really hard. I looked at my rationale, and I looked at my thought process, 
And it was really, really difficult to connect with that woman because I just kept looking at these words on the paper thinking, oh my gosh, you were just so hopeless at that time. I didn't think I was hopeless, but when you step into fear, you step away from faith. When you step into fear, you step away from hope. When you step into fear, you step away from belief because you don't have faith anymore. You don't have hope anymore. You don't have belief anymore. And you'd rather, like I said earlier, you'd rather take the known as a safety net, so to speak, than to take the risk of something really beautiful and wonderful in store for you. I think about the thoughts, and you guys know one of my main hashtags and one of my main points of this podcast is to really examine our thoughts, you know, take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. I say that at the end of every podcast. And I look now back at the thoughts I had when I was in this engagement And here's some of the thoughts that I had. And I mean, they're just so troubling when I look at them because they're so different from where I am now, which, okay, that's wonderful. I've grown and I've come so far, but it also reminds me of where I was and how easy it is for us to slip into that negative thinking. Here are some of the thoughts that I was thinking at that time, literally. Some people marry the love of their life and some people don't. And I had just decided, well, I guess I'm not going to be one of those people. I'd been in love in college two times, and here I was in my early 30s in a relationship that looked like it could go the distance, but not feeling in love. And I'd started to resign myself to the notion that, well, I guess it's not meant for me. I guess marrying the love of my life isn't in my path. I'd started to believe that it was better to have someone than to be alone. I'd started to believe that I couldn't be happy unless I had a husband and children, which those are wonderful things, but are you really happy with a husband and children if you're marrying the wrong person just to get married and having children, not because you're having children with the love of your life, but you're just having children just to have them. I'd started to believe that just having an okay marriage would be good enough. And the thing is, that I want to reiterate is that every time I had any of those thoughts, I was stepping away from my authenticity because no, I was not the person who was going to marry anyone other than the love of my life. I was not the kind of person who was going to say that it was better to be in a relationship, to be single. I'd never been that woman, never. Throughout high school and college, I was always, I had relationships, but I was always very independent in my relationships and I was very proud of cultivating who I was and recognizing that I wanted to be with someone because I wanted to, not because I needed them to be happy, but because I wanted to share my life with them. And so as I fell prey to these thoughts, I stepped away from who I really was. And that's so sad. Not just because for me, but I think about for so many people, when I think about we're all created in a unique way to be our unique selves. And when we stifle that self or when we turn away from that self, we're really denying ourselves and the world who we're meant to be. Hi, I'm Joey. I'm from Pompton Lakes, New Jersey, and I listen to Dr. Karen, Love and Life. Now, Those negative thoughts, I could just have easily during that time thought the following. I could have been thinking things like, 
some people marry the love of their life, and I intend to be one of them. Or I could have been thinking, I know it's way better to be single and authentic than to be with someone just to have someone. I could have been thinking, my happiness is in my hands. It's not dependent on whether or not I'm in a relationship. I could have been thinking, I want an extraordinary love, not just an ordinary love. And I'm willing to wait for it and work hard to find it. So those thoughts that I allowed to clutter my mind were not only horribly negative and horribly discouraging, they were also pulling me away from who I was, which is why I think I was able to stay in that relationship because I was steeped in fear-based decision-making, continuing to make choices for that period of my life that were walking down the path of inauthenticity. Which is one of the reasons I included an entire chapter in my book called Quit Worrying About Being Alone Forever. Better to be alone than to wish you were. Because when I talk to singles, and again, from my own perspective and my own experience, I know that a lot of women make a lot of choices a lot of the time based on fear. And I almost made a huge mistake based on fear because I'd allowed all these negative thoughts to get in my head. I was not taking charge of my thoughts. I was not taking charge of my life. So when you look at the fear of being alone, which is a legitimate fear. I mean, we were made to be in community. We were made to be in relationships. We talked about that actually in the last podcast episode. And actually in psych research, there's a ton of literature on social support. So we are designed to be in relationships with others. And that's very healthy. In fact, all the research on social support just shows that we are psychologically healthier, physically healthier, even, you know, people who have a strong network of social support, and people who care about them and, and, and meaningful friendships. These are people who call into work sick fewer. These are people who have to take fewer sick days. I mean, there's so much about being connected to others that is healthy. But at the same time, like we're saying, fearing being alone isn't healthy either. Yes, we should be striving to have great relationships with others, but we should also appreciate our alone time. And again, that's something I was not so good at when I was younger. I didn't like being alone. When I was alone, I had to think about things that maybe I didn't really want to think about just had to be comfortable in my own skin and in my own thoughts. And probably I didn't want to think about some of the thoughts I had because they were negative and I hadn't worked on taking charge of them yet. So it's all a process. But when I was looking at the theme of being alone forever, which again, like I said, is something we hear from people. You'll hear singles say, well, I just don't want to be alone forever. You have to kind of unpack what does that mean? Okay, yeah, it's nice to have connections, but not to the extent that we have phony connections or we're forcing a relationship just to have a warm body around us. So what does it mean if we're alone? And in this chapter, in my book, I talk about unpacking the meaning. Now, this is a psychological tool that we use in therapy quite a bit. And it's very, very powerful. And it's something that once I learned it as a therapist and started utilizing it in sessions with clients, it was so, so impactful on my life 
Because whenever I have an emotion, I just start unpacking the whole experience or the whole process. If I'm sad or if I'm anxious or I'm angry, then I unpack it. Well, what is the thought that has caused me to feel this emotion that I don't want, this undesired emotion? And then you look at the thought and then you pick it apart. You unpack it and and, and decide because it's really a conscious choice. If you start getting that analytical, do I subscribe to that thought or not? Do I subscribe to the meaning behind that thought? So let me give you an example. If we fear being alone, it may be because we decide or we believe that being alone means that we're unlovable. Because being alone in and of itself doesn't have any power. So you're alone for a night. So what? Well, it matters to you. It's causing you to be unhappy because you've decided that you're alone. Yes. And because you're alone, that must mean that you are unlovable. But do you see that those two things don't necessarily have to coincide? They don't have to be connected to one another. So yeah, you're alone. It only can cause you distress if you've decided that you're alone and that is an indication that you are unlovable or I'm alone because no one wants me or since I'm alone now at this point in time, I'm going to be alone for forever. Do you see? So the alone part of it, the being alone isn't the problem really because you can be alone and pop some popcorn and watch some Netflix. No big deal. But what's causing you stress, what's causing you anguish, what's causing you sadness, what's causing you distress is that you've decided that being alone has a lot more meaning. And I'm suggesting, and I've done this in my own life, that I don't have to ascribe that meaning to that experience of being alone, which once you change the meaning behind it, then all of a sudden being alone is like, okay, I'm alone. Well, cool. I got a night off. (laughs) It can just be me and I can just chill and do whatever I want and no one can take the remote from me. It's all mine tonight. Do you see that when we unpack it, we start to get at the power? Hi, I'm Miriam Connor and I listen to Dr. Karen Love and Life in Cleveland, Ohio. So let's look at this whole notion of I'm alone because I'm unlovable. And this is something, again, I break down in the chapter of my book. Just because you happen to be alone on a particular Friday night, or just because you happen to be alone for six months, or a year, or two, or three, that doesn't mean you're unlovable. Just because you don't happen to be dating someone or don't happen to be in a serious relationship, it doesn't mean that you're unlovable. And I would suggest to you, and this is something that I would do myself, because sometimes I would feel that I'd be like, what's wrong with me? Especially, as you guys know, in my late 20s, I had like a really dry spell where I wasn't dating. I mean, I was dating here and there, a couple dates here, a couple dates there, but wasn't making any kind of real strides toward a meaningful relationship. And sometimes I'd be like, what? But I have to remind myself, well, I'm not unlovable. I have a million friends. So, okay, that's not the case. And I have really great relationships with my brothers and my sisters-in-law and I've got nieces and nephews and they're crazy about me. So I'm not unlovable. It's unfortunate that I haven't at this point in time when I really desire a boyfriend, I don't have that. But the reason I don't have a boyfriend is not that I'm unlovable. So when you really examine all that meaning that you're giving to a thought, that's like I said, that's when you really are able to unpack it 
and just swap it out. Another example, you know, someone who gets divorced, they can look at that divorce as I got divorced and it can be a neutral. It can just be I got divorced or it can be I got divorced and that means I'm a failure and I'm a quitter and I can't keep a relationship together and I've disappointed everyone. Okay, that's another option. Or they can say I got divorced and that means I'm liberated. I'm free. I'm unwilling to settle for a mediocre marriage. I'm now able to embrace life in a way that I couldn't because I was phoning it in in this marriage. I mean, do you see how the same exact experience can have such a different feeling associated with it based on the meaning that we ascribe to that experience? Another one from my chapter, you know, I'm alone because no one wants me. Well, that was one that I struggled with too. Well, no one wants me. Well, if you examine it, you're like, well, that's just not true. Because again, I have friends that really want to be with me and family that really wanted to be with me. And frankly, there's been plenty of guys in the past that have wanted to be with me. So maybe at this particular moment in time with this particular social circle that I'm involved in, I don't have anyone who currently wants to be with me. It doesn't mean that I'm a person who cannot be desired. <laughs> it's just that it's, it's irrational. It's illogical. And for many women that I talk to, the women who are successful and accomplished and driven, and they're very analytical and they're very cerebral. They're in their heads a lot. So when I explain this to them and help them do that analysis and unpack these thoughts and the meanings that they have thrown together and associated that don't have to be thrown together, it can be very powerful and very freeing as they go, oh, okay, you're right. That's kind of illogical. And that was pretty irrational. So I don't want to be illogical or irrational. So I'm going to choose to not put that particular meaning to this circumstance and this thought. And then the one that really hit home for me, uh, since I'm alone now, I'll be alone forever. And that was one that, like I said, I struggled with. And I had moments where I'm going to be alone for forever. And, you know, I think about like Bridget Jones' diary. And there's a lot, Allie McBeal, for those of you who are in my generation. And there are a lot of images in pop culture and themes. Or in Sex and the City, where there were a ton of episodes that looked at loneliness and, and the fear of being alone for forever. And again, there is no reason that any circumstance in your life right now, because it is so today, that there's any reason that it has to be so tomorrow or next week or next year. And so once I started examining my thoughts and realizing, hey, you are alone and you've had a dry spell and that's unfortunate and that's undesirable and it's no fun. But just because I'm having a dry spell at this moment in this season of my life does not bear any prediction that I'm going to be alone for forever. Once I really just wrapped my mind around that and just got on board with that, it changed everything. And then I was free to enjoy the moment that was because there was a lot of great stuff going on. I was working on my career. I was a professor. I was in bands. I was having so much fun with my friends, girls trips. I was thriving in my life. And so as soon as I put aside these unnecessary negative associations with my current circumstances and just chose to look at my thoughts in a different way and recognize that I was giving meaning to them that I didn't have to. Once I did that, everything changed. Mm -hmm. 
Hi, I'm Maureen, and I listen to Dr. Karen Love and Life in Mississippi. So since we've been talking about fear and the thoughts that fuel fear that we feel, I wanted to share with you a research study that actually speaks directly to this in terms of the fear of being single. We've been talking about the fear of being alone, and the fear of being single obviously is very similar. It's a study from the University of Toronto in 2013, and the title of it is Settling for Less Out of Fear of Being Single. So it really caught my eye, obviously, because it's something that I'm, I'm passionate about, singles issues, and of course, as you guys know, one of my hashtags is never, ever settle. So what the researchers found was that how a person feels about their singleness, and if they do have thoughts about being single that are very negative, right? And like we've talked today, they associate being single as meaning being less than. And so the researchers looked at how people thought about, again, the power of thoughts, how they thought about being single. And they did find through several different studies, um, and I won't go into them in too much depth, support for their hypothesis that... The fear of being single predicts settling for less in ongoing relationships. So someone may be in a relationship and feeling like, eh, he's okay or she's okay, but because I'm so scared of being single, I'll hang on to this very subpar or mediocre relationship rather than take the chance to be alone for a while and find something really fantastic. So fear of being single predicts settling for less in ongoing relationships And also, it's evidenced by greater dependence, and I'm quoting from the study here, by greater dependence in unsatisfying relationships. So I'm unsatisfied in the relationship, yet I'm finding myself very dependent on that relationship nevertheless. Even though it's unsatisfying, I'm still feeling very needy about this relationship. It also, and again I quote, being single predicts lower likelihood of initiating the dissolution of a less satisfying relationship. So like I said, it's less likely that people are going to step away, even though they would admit to themselves and to others probably, this relationship is it's just okay, it's not even that satisfying, but I'm not going to break up with this person. So in another part of the study, the researchers presented the participants with some possible dating partners that they could select from and describe these dating partners. And they found that the participants who scored highly in terms of being very fearful of being single, they were more drawn to and they selected romantic partners that even they judged to be less attractive. So they're aiming low when it comes to potential dating partners. They're not giving themselves the choice or even thinking that they could get someone who maybe they would find to be more attractive and not just physically, but in all realms because they would rather aim low and definitely get a person to be with because they fear being single so much as opposed to being single for a while and keeping their standards high and aiming for someone who was maybe more desirable. So really the researchers looking at all the different parts of the study concluded that, and I'm quoting, the fear of being single is a meaningful predictor of settling for less in relationships. And I find that so troubling, but It's something that I found fascinating because I think all of us have seen that from time to time. And I certainly felt that that was true from what I'd observed from people I saw around me and even in my own life at times when I was less comfortable being single, looking at my own responses. And as I shared with you earlier, my fear of being alone and being single kept me in a relationship that wasn't working for a long, long time. And I almost married the guy. So so it's really great when the research can support what we 
kind of know down deep is true. And that just gives us even more of a foundation to say, hey, I don't want to be that person who is operating from fear. I don't want to let those thoughts, those fearful thoughts then fuel my fearful emotion and then cause me to behave in ways that are out of step with my authenticity. Hi, my name is Dina and I listen to Dr. Karen, Love and Life in Chicago. You know, fear can't live without thoughts to support it. So taking charge of your thoughts truly does take charge of your life because taking charge of your thoughts can totally change your life and change your feelings and change your experience and get rid of the fear. Thanks so much for listening this week. Please let me know if you have any topics you want me to cover. I want this to be your show as much as it is mine. You can find me at my website, www.drkaren.me. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. On Facebook, I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. On Instagram, I'm Dr. Karen, D-R-K-A-R-I-N. And I'd love to hear from you. Please email me your story. I'm at Karen at drkaren.me, K-A-R-I-N at D-R-K-A-R-I-N dot me. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Until next time, make it a great week. Mm-hmm.